Hello there, welcome back to a, another episode of A Method to the Madness, the weekly podcast where we discuss, analyse and otherwise ponder our favourite movies and television. Today I'm your host, Mitchy Hartner, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Patrick. Hello. Hello. And today we'll be reviewing Nicholas Winding Refn's 2011 movie, Drive, starring Ryan Gosling, Carrie Mulligan, Brian Cranston, Oscar Isaac, Ron Perlman, and Christina Hendricks. Now, I um, especially love this movie, and I don't know why we decided to do this. It's quite an old movie. It's nine years old now, but it's quite a unique movie for its genre. It's, it's a crime thriller that's centred around vehicles, naturally, being called Drive. And we thought we'd give it a crack because aesthetically it's quite a pleasing movie. I think we were enthralled with Ryan Gosling's performance. And yeah. this popped into our minds, yeah. As usual. Yeah, from Blade Runner, right? Oh, mm. He's actually a really good actor. I do do like he him. He is. He's phenomenal, yeah. Yeah. So we'll start off with first opinions. What do you think of this movie, Pat? When you, Well, how did you first come across it? Whatever. A background. Um, uh, I don't know. Some friends recommended it to me and you know, cause from film school and such. So I checked it out and yeah, like I was, I was amazed by this. Um, I love, first of all, all the, the characters in this film, they're all like kind of really enigmatic. They're all, they all have their own stuff going on. My favorite character from this film is Oscar Isaac's character, how he's presented like, you're so unsure about him throughout the entire film. But like, and I, I think even after he gets killed, you still don't know what to think of him, but mm. having watched this film like twice now, the the fact that I can't really comment on his the nature of whether he's a good person or not, like because he seems like a good person. I don't know. My point is, it's just th- these really like complex characters. I think, uh, of course, the soundtrack is fucking bumping. It's, yeah, it's so good. So good. Uh, I, much like Baby Driver, how it's sometimes timed to the music. Yeah, I love that shit. I love when he's leaving his apartment and he's. F- uh, flicks off the light switch and the music like is in time with that yeah yeah that was yeah i i took note <laughs> yeah. of that too actually yeah yeah and uh it's it's a hundred minutes i think nice and short mm. i love me some some short films and yep. i think that all just creates this film that's like this transient explosion of feeling yeah 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 it's great yeah it, yeah I, I haven't actually seen oscar isaac in anything but star wars this is the first time i'd seen him in anything but that and yeah, he's an interesting guy. He's very, you know, like when, when they said his name was Standard Gabriel, he looked exactly <laughs> like a Standard Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the deluxe version? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fuck, that was lame. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm on board with you there. I mean, you know, as usual, we have a good movie taste, movie choice when it comes to this podcast. We haven't done anything particularly bad yet, except uh, Blade Runner, but... Um, <laughs> shut up, Pat. And uh, yeah, I I love this movie. It first time I watched it, I just it's the soundtrack that really got me. I, I um the eighties is kind of like kind of like my dream period for me. Like I wish I grew up in the eighties kind of thing. I love the music from then and kind of the aesthetic of neon and and just a young kind of rave. Like it, it's it's the birth of like the kind of young pop and. I, I really like the culture back then, and this movie is basically centered around that culture, we, we, despite the fact that it's actually not set in the 80s at all. It's set in the modern era, but it feels like an 80s movie because of what parts of Los Angeles they happen to be in, kind of run-down areas with that kind of feel. And I, what, one bit I liked about this movie is that it, it kind of, the plot-wise, it's very typical, right? It just mm. feels like a 
pretty normal crime movie. And, you know, the driving aspect of it isn't anything particularly new. But I just loved how it executed the love interest or the love relationship between Ryan Gosling's character, the driver, and Mulligan's character, Irene. I thought it was kind of really natural and very well done. And it didn't feel tacky at all to me in any way. And I, I really appreciated it. I thought it was good. And great cinematography as well. Some of the lighting and the shots in it were really nice. I like the shots especially, such as in the bathroom when the light's coming through the window. It seems to be trying to use a lot of natural lighting in this where a lot of the natural shadows kind of fall on our characters' faces, particularly in the bathroom scene or in the vehicles themselves when they're driving through the night and you've got the overhead lights and stuff on the road. It kind of creates a very natural feel, obviously, but it also gives a bit of ambiguity to our characters because the lighting isn't so clear-cut on them. Yeah, there are, there are points of, like, hyper-stylized lighting, though. Like, for example, do you remember in the elevator scene where he kisses Irene, everything sort of yeah. goes bright or dim? I can't remember. But the lighting, like, it, drastically... It goes bright on her, but dims everyone and yeah, yeah. everyone else. Yeah. And uh, there are just, like, kind of weird, abstract, stylistic t- uh, flourishes like that in this otherwise kind of serious film, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Re- Refrain seems to have a knack for kind of having a unique kind of cinematography in the sense that, like, I don't, yeah, like, like you said, flourishes in lighting, but also, like, the whole... It, it's not really a neon film, this one, but it does feel like a neon film to me, like, some because it's set, it's it's kind of got that 80s feel, right? But, like, some of his other movies are, like, legit neon films. Like, another one with Ryan Gosling, Only God Forgives, right? Isn't that what it's called? Yep. And, and that's super neon-y, but the neon demon and Too Old to Die Young, you basically, like, Google image that shit, and it's, like, just pink and purple because it's so neon-y. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, plot summary. Would you like to read it, Pat, or do you want me to read it? Yes. I'll go, for go it. through it since you're hosting this time. So, Drive can be divided into two juxtaposed acts, neither of which are greatly unique. In the first, we are introduced to our protagonist, who remains unnamed aside from the alias The Driver, which is Ryan Gosling. This unusually quiet and almost socially awkward character is, naturally, a highly skilled driver who works as a mechanic and a stunt driver, but moonlights as a getaway driver for criminals. The driver romantically befriends his neighbour, Irene, who has a son, Benicio, and a husband, Standard, who's serving his sentence in prison. Midway through their romantic development, Irene disappointingly confesses that Standard will be returning home. Upon his return, Standard's former criminal bosses force him to perform one last robbery to pay off a debt that he accumulated in prison. The driver offers his services, ultimately to keep Irene and Benicio safe. However, the robbery takes a tragic turn and Standard is killed at the scene. We then proceed to the second act, where we experience a strong change in the demeanour of the driver, who learns that the botched robbery was a setup all along, and the million dollars in his possession is being hunted for by the local gangsters. So ensues a series of violent sequences where the driver is transformed into a professional killer, slaughtering anyone in his way. Realising that his current predicament also puts Irene and Benicio under threat, he sets out to finalise the ordeal, killing the mob leaders responsible. The film ends with the driver fleeing Los Angeles, tragically leaving his love to protect her. End of movie. Hmm. Well done. Nice. Yeah. So let's talk about the background of this movie. Firstly, it was actually very positively acclaimed, and it, it didn't quite reach the, you know, academy levels because it's quite a esoteric movie. It's a bit of a noir movie, and consequently, it's super violent as well, and, you know, ha- has some nudity and stuff in it, which a lot of people were actually kind of disappointed with. 
I personally like it quite a lot, but it's still one best director at the Cannes fa- Film... Sorry, Cannes... Cannes? Yeah, Cannes. Cannes, right? Yeah. Cannes Film yeah. Festival. Um, but it was still nominated for one Oscar, Best Sound Editing, because it does have great sound editing in it. And it's actually rated as one of the best films of 2011 by a significant number of critics. It's something that is appreciated more by people who tend to respect film a lot more than those who kind of just watch films for the sake of it. Really? That's interesting because I would have thought this is a pretty versatile film that a lot of pe- all people would enjoy. Like, it's not it, a complicated it, film. You don't really have to think that hard to no, but enjoy it because, you know, it's like... If you know about um, a little bit more about cinematography and stuff like that, you kind of appreciate the film a lot more. I mean, if you're like yeah, old, old Joe watching it and, you know, like it's still a cool film, really fun to watch, right? But... I don't know, a lot of people just kind of get turned off by the fact that it's super gory and kind of like a bit a brooding film. Yeah. You know, while Baby Driver, on the other hand, which we will discuss, it's like completely opposite, right? Like that got nominated for like four Oscars and it's super well known, made a lot more money because it's a lot more upbeat. But personally, I think this is actually a better movie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The soundtrack, interestingly, was by Cliff Martinez, which um, I learned was a drummer. He's a drummer for the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which I had no idea about. But oh. the, um, he actually did the Contagion soundtrack, which I think we talked about before. But it's kind of like interesting because I was watching it. And you know the bit at the start when like just straight up there's that kind of like that real quiet and subdued but super tense kind of just a beat? And that's it. It's not not got no melody. Yeah, when he's waiting for the guy to come out of the store, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it continues on for that whole scene. Yeah. I was like, fuck, this sounds so familiar. And then I, straight away what clicked to my mind was the final scene in Contagion when the bat fucking mm. drops the... Well, the bat dies or whatever, the pig eats that fruit and obviously it's a transfer of the virus. It, it it's like sounds so similar. I'm like, fuck, is it the same guy? And it was the same guy. You know, like, it, it's just cool, you know, like, the, like we, you got directors that are so identifiable authors, you know, but then you got fucking soundtracks as well. And it's just so identifiable. Like even Cliff Martinez, he's not particularly well known for his scores. Yeah. I could still identify. And it's just like, you know, it just shows you the uniqueness of how people just do shit art, you know? Yeah, for sure. You got a ear for that. There she is. Chevy Impala, most popular car in the state of California. No one will be looking at you. The inspiration for this movie, supposedly Reffin said that he was inspired by the Grimm's fairy tales to make Drive. I I was like... What? <laughs> like the Brothers Grimm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I was inspired by them to make this film. And I was like, what? How, how is it even related? Like, and yeah, he's like, I, I don't see the connection. <laughs> That's what he said, though. And he's like, because oh, it's got a hero in it and he protects the good and brutally kills the enemies. That was like the logic behind <laughs> it. And it's like, okay, but so is like every other hero story. They protect the good and usually kill the enemy, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And but what I personally think is more of a, um, 
an inspiration for this is a 1978 movie called The Driver, funnily enough, a neo-noir crime thriller. It's really, really similar to Drive in the plot. It's got The Driver, which is the main character in that, again, and all the characters in this movie don't actually have any names. So there's the driver, the detective, the player, the connection, and a bunch of other things, which is sort of similar to this film. Some of them have names like uh, Nino, the gangster, Irene, obviously, and Benicio. But the driver doesn't have a name. You've got the other gangster called Cook, and the husband's called Standard, which is his name, but like it doesn't sound like a proper name, right? And they kind of do hint at that. And in that sense, it's quite similar to the driver film from 1978. It also involves him going out to do getaways and he fucks up one of the getaways. There's a bunch of money involved and, you know, something bad happens. And by the end of it, he tries to solve the problem. And the driver in that is also a really brooding, barely speaks character. So people have kind of looked at that as like an inspiration for drive and they've almost seen it as like a direct copy. And, and then, and then we go back forward in time. So that obviously inspired drive and then what did Drive inspire? We've already said it, but Baby Driver, right? Like, I, there's an no, unbelievable number of similarities between this movie and Baby Driver. Yeah. Which is came out three years ago, so it's six years later, right? Like, you got a protagonist in it who's a getaway driver as well, and they both barely speak for slightly different reasons. The baby and Baby Driver is, like, deaf. Well, not deaf, but he su- suffers from tinnitus and you know, listens to music all the time and he's kind of never speaks either. And then the opening scene in Baby Driver is also a getaway, just like in the opening scene of Drive. And even goes down to the same point where they basically abandon a vehicle in a car park and then just, you know, leave the vehicle there to kind of get away with the getaway, you know? And like, and then there's a use of like kind of an iPod soundtrack where they use a lot of popular songs for the soundtrack and the protagonist meets a new female character who they form in love with. This love interest doesn't actually know about the criminal activities of our driver at first, and then this is revealed at some point in the film, and and the protagonist has to deal with that, and the protagonist also has no material interest in anything. His only concentration, his only motivation in both these films is the one love Mm. that they have. And the colour of it, both of them kind of feature, an, it's sort of a neon aesthetic. It's it's not so obvious in Baby Driver because that's not, doesn't have an 80s aesthetic at all. But the poster itself is like a vibrant hot pink, which is the same colour as the font used in Drive. And it's like, it's really uncanny, like these similarities. I mean, there are obviously some differences, like Dr- Drive is definitely a much more adulty movie. It's super violent, has nudity in it, and Baby Driver doesn't, which is why it, it's probably got a lot more exposure in the in the film industry and baby driver seems to be the driver himself and that seems to be a little bit more innocent while ryan gosling's driver seems to have more of a criminal background the ultimate plot between these three movies the driver drive and baby driver are kind of like really similar it's like a formula that you basically use to kind of design these movies and then you just tweak little things here or there or the stylistic choice but ultimately they're like it's, it's almost like its own genre, which is kind of what I was getting to and what you were talking about once, Pat. Like, it feels like, you know, like there's a bunch of movies that are similar in this way. Like, it's not just a gangster movie. It's kind of like its own movie about the driver. Yeah, I was browsing Netflix the other day and I saw this movie called Wheelman. It's starring Frank Grillo and it's about a getaway driver. Wheelman? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't I don't know if his character is like the same kind of brooding uh silent 
type, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, m- movie about a getaway driver. It's, there certainly is an emerging pattern going on here. Yeah. And we were discussing this a bit off off podcast, but what do you think the connection is about? Like, you know, the the plots of these films, they're all the characters are all trying to break free, mm. which is it's it's like this irony because of what cars are meant to symbolize, which is freedom. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you reckon is going on there? No, you're right. Like that, that because ultimately that's what the cast symbolizes is freedom, and I don't think that's undeniable. Like you know, when we all get our first car or drive a car or have the ability to have a car any time we want during the day, it just opens up so many opportunities, right? So we inherently believe that. And for me, what I think it is is more the fact that it kind of it, it's ironic, right? Because the characters are all trying to break free, like you said, and the car is sort of like. What did I write? I guess it kind of accentuates the fact that a life in crime, because all of these movies are are similar in the sense that the people who drive the cars, the people who have freedom at their fingertips, are ultimately tied down by a criminal life. And that criminal life haunts them for the whole movie. In Baby Driver, very similar to this movie, Drive, actually, it's almost identical, really. Both of them come into contact with the wrong criminals and it fucks their day and they have to somehow defeat them by the end of the movie. And I think it, it it just shows you that, you know, like people may have the ability to kind of have the freedom that they want, you know, they, they drive around and stuff, but they get, they end up doing these criminal things anyway. And ultimately it doesn't get them anywhere because at the end of each movie, both of these movies, it doesn't turn out well for our protagonists in this movie. He doesn't get the girl because he has to protect her. So he has to leave the city and in baby driver, um, baby ends up arrested and serves time for like 10, 20 years or something like that. Or maybe not that long, but eventually ends up with a girl. But still, it shows you at the end of the day that crime doesn't pay. It's yeah, I, ultimately bad. I just thought of like another similarity. Mm. And this is just kind of my own interpretation of like how these films end. But it seems like it's a not a real ending. So, for example, in Baby Driver, yep. it's a very abrupt ending, right? Like he goes to prison and then it cuts to like five years later when he gets out. Yeah. And then... Uh, his girlfriend's waiting there for him in like a brand new car and it's like there's just and it's in slow motion it's like really lurid yeah and i always interpreted that as like it's a fantasy yeah like it's not real yeah that's what i thought and i i don't know yeah. if it's confirmed is it like if you read well, like the I, plot I th- it says that he did but yeah well i don't know I, I, I'm, th- I'm with you there i actually thought that the first time i watched it like it was just a dream and similarly with drive when he gets stabbed, he's sitting in his car in a bit yeah. for a bit, and the window gets like really bright, as if he's you know going to like the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and you know it's right after he gets stabbed, and I it, there was something very like final about that. But then and then you know he like drives off, but I, I don't know to me again similarly to Baby Driver, I read that as like him dying, and then the the rest is like a fantasy. Yeah, you know like as if he goes back to Irene to fulfill what he always wanted to do. Yeah. But, like, it's it's kind of unrealistic if you look at everything else about the movie. Wait, so what are you saying? That he died or not? I'm just saying that, well, it seems like it. And I'm just saying that bo- both these movies have an ending where it's like, I don't know, it's just this impossible fantasy. Yeah. Maybe it has something to do with what the freedom of cars symbolize. Yeah, no, you're right. It, de- it definitely, it does feel fantastical at the end, actually. And, yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, I, I guess it's just... Ultimately, they just never get what they want. Hmm. I mean, there might be a deeper meaning, but I just look at it like, fuck, like, just don't get involved with fucking gangsters, eh? Like, fuck. I mean, dude, they're brutal in this movie. Like, 
Who, who's the not not um Ron Perlman, the other guy, the other gangster? Uh, yeah, I can't remember his name. Fuck, he just like you know he he he's got no remorse at all. He'll just kill whoever he needs to. Like when he stabs that that bolt, uh, cook in the fucking in the pizza shop, yeah, just shanks him in the eyeball with a fork and then stabs him in the throat with a knife. And it's like, did he really need to fucking stab him in the eye with a fork? Like, you know, like, the violence in this is, like, kind of, like, out of nowhere, which is why I, um, like, I specifically divided the two acts between when, when the violence begins, because it's just such a dramatic change in tone in the movie. Like, like the first half feels like such a, just a romance, really, and, like, oh, you think the husband's going to fuck it up, but he, it turns out he really doesn't. But, like, and then the second half just becomes, like, a full-on, like, cr- crime movie, and, like, fuck, it's, it's pretty violent. Like, Yeah, I think it is very intentional how abrupt it is. Yeah. Because, you know, Ron Perlman's character, he's, like, really belligerent, right? Like, he... he yeah. He, he's immediately, you're like, this is a violent dude. And they explain how the two of them are partners and yep. you kind of get the sense the first time that like, oh, Ron Perlman's character, like he must be like the, the hothead muscle guy and the other guy's like the brains maybe. Yeah. But then it's it's like the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> and it just really ca- catches you off guard. Yeah. In the same way that like the first time you see uh, the driver get violent, he gets really fucking violent and he stomps that dude's head in and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's way overkill. Yeah, yeah. What do you think it means, like, having... Because it's obviously... Hi- it's hyper-violence, really. Like, in terms of the context of the movie, especially the first half, it doesn't feel really that right. You know that when he's calling that mob dude and he's like, you ever hear that story about the scorpion and the frog? Yeah. Your partner... Yeah. So, do you know about that story? No, I don't. So, pretty much it's a story where there's a scorpion who wants to cross a river. So, he asks a frog if he can hop on his back and cross the river, but the frog's, like, hesitant because he thinks he's going to stab the frog and then the scorpion's like well if i do that then we'll both drown <laughs> yeah and so it seems sensible for, for the frog and he's like all right so he lets him ride on his back yeah and then midway through the river the scorpion stabs the frog and they're both drowning as they're drowning the frog asks why would you doom us both and then the scorpion says because it's in my nature what and really you know the, fuck what, what does that yeah, even yeah. mean <laughs> well what the fuck so, <laughs> you know how like so, first of all, the driver has the scorpion on his jacket, right? Yeah, yeah. So, implying that he's the scorpion. Uh... And there's that bit where he's sitting on the couch with Benicio. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you know, that that shark's the bad guy. And he's like, how, how do you know he's the bad guy? And he goes, well, he's, he's a shark. Just look at him. And it, it's this thing about, like, not being able to escape your uh, violent nature. Yeah. And it's that kind of thing where, I guess, bi- violence begets violence, you know? Yeah. Because the way I read the film is it seems like the driver is himself a victim of violence. Like, it, I, yep. there's not much text to support this, but I, I, I'd say it just gets communicated through his acting where, like, he probably got abused as a kid, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah, and hence okay. why yeah, he's, like, kind that. of brooding and doesn't talk, you know, and pro- yeah. he's probably on the spectrum somewhere. I think that's pretty explicit, actually, in this movie that the driver is on the spectrum, uh, uh, which is, you know, well, neither here nor there, but... Yeah. I think, yeah, man, like... Just a life of violence begets more violence, and it's a tragedy in that way. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's interesting, because um, I did want to do a little bit of a character analysis of the driver. I um, hmm. there's like a, I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a psychology student, and he, one day, one of his courses, he had to pick a movie from a list of movies and do, like, a psychoanalysis of a character in it. Hmm. And the only rem- one I remember from this list was The Machinist with Christian Bale. Naturally, because uh, Christian Bale suffers from insomnia, he has 
I don't know what exactly he has in it, but he just seems to fuck, you know, he can't, he literally can't sleep and, and confabulates a lot of memories. It's a fucking really good movie. And in a sense, I could see like, you know, and I know the driver doesn't say much in dialogue wise, but his actions and the way he acts is kind of like interesting to see what a psychologist would think. But unfortunately I'm not one, so I can't really do a psychoanalysis of this character. But in the same vein, I'd still like, it's kind of interesting to, see what this character does and i think you raise a good point there like yeah that that's that's actually a good good giving good context to why he would be like this because i just thought he was just a sociopathic like he doesn't fucking say anything and he's socially awkward as Mm -hmm. like when irene asks him do you want a glass of water you know when they first meet each other and his response is okay yeah yeah. (laughs) it just doesn't seem right at all like who the fuck says that i don't know perhaps he's not Perhaps he has trouble with empathy, you know, and that's I think that's a common thing with people on the spectrum is that they they are kind of like isolated in their own minds and they do have trouble empathizing. And, you know, the the, the huge discussion around this is that it doesn't make them sociopaths. Right. There's like a there's a difference. And yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's baiting you into sort of making that assumption. But it's just this guy who has been in this world of violence it's particularly sort of fucked with him in a big way. So it's like this, yeah, this cycle of just, I don't know, un- unfortunate life events, I guess. Yeah, like rather than looking at him as a baddie, yeah, it, yeah, look at him as a victim, really. I mean, it's hard to say exactly what he's a victim of, but I wouldn't say you're wrong at all in saying if, well, if we found out that he truly was a victim of violence, then it doesn't surprise me, really. It, it's interesting, actually, that, yeah, when you raise that point, because... I mean, he's definitely, like, semi-sociopathic because he fucking is pretty antisocial and you don't know his name either, which is, like, a typical thing that sociopaths do. Like, they don't really divulge their true identity to anyone and he doesn't really have any guilt or remorse. And, like, fuck, like, when he um, shotguns that bloke just as he walks into the room with a pistol after stabbing that guy with a shard of glass in the mirror... And there's blood all over his face and like Ryan Gosling's like super like blue eyes are like just in this like shade of red on his face. Like, holy shit. Like he just looked like a psychopath then. Like it it was like, I don't know, like he pulled off a really good expression there and just the lighting and the color, the color difference between his eyes and his face was just awesome. And and then the second time that occurred and and my favorite scene has got to be the elevator scene because like Hmm. it has so much in it involved in it. It's kind of like he loves Irene, but he understands that he's going to fuck Irene and the kid over if he stays around and like he pushes her back and the lighting goes all dark, like we said, and like kisses her. And it's like, it's basically him saying goodbye, yeah. not from a physical perspective because he's going to leave her, but from the perspective that like she thought he was a really good guy, a real genuine guy kind of thing, didn't know anything about this criminal underworld that he lives in, and he just beats a shit to, yeah. out of this fucking henchman and like crushes his fucking head in. And, like, you could just see her like look at him like, what the fuck? And like when he like gets up out of, you know, like beating this guy up or killing him, and, like, he just looks like he's just changed completely as a person. Like, he's a, he almost turned into a baddie for me. And Reference said that otherwise, though, because he's like, oh, that's when he becomes a hero. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, everything <laughs> you say, bro, doesn't make any sense. Like, <laughs> I don't think you're interpreting it like anyone else. Has anyone asked Reference if he's okay? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Buddy. he looks sus. 
yeah, it's tragic, eh? Like how, yeah, as you say, like he kisses her because he knows that she'll look at him different from that f- yeah. from then on. Like he knows like that's the end it yeah. end for them. Yeah, and yeah, uh, like there's a, and you know at the end, uh, like you know he drives off somewhere. Perhaps he's not going to go back. Yeah, and yet Irene knocks on his door as if hoping he's there. Yeah, to imply like maybe even after seeing that side of him, she still you know wants to be with him. Yeah, yeah. How that's all left ambiguous, like, I don't know, you know, there's got to be an equal amount of hope for there to be tragedy, you know what I mean? Yeah, good point, yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I just, just love everything about that. Hello? You know the story about the scorpion and the frog? Your friend Nino didn't make it across the river. I think this has gone on long enough. You see any reason for it to continue? What do you say we meet? Why? Well, you, me, and your girlfriend are the only players left. How's that for a reason? It, it, it's clear from the onset as well that Irene actually, like, doesn't really want a husband there, right? Because, like, you know when uh, they're having a party and she can't, she's sitting outside in the hallway and then he's like, oh, I was going to call the cops and she said, like, you should have. Yeah. And if you read the script of this film, you can't really tell when you watch the movie, but when the driver tells her that he was there when Standard died and kind of helped him out with the robbery and shit, but it all went wrong, and then she says, like, why would you do that? Or what? Wh- why? Doesn't say why would you do this. She just says why. And to me, I thought she was more tragically like mourning her husband. with like, why the fuck would he do that? But in the script, it specifically says the that she's like she says why with reference to him, the driver, saying why would you do that? Like, as in why would you go and do that and potentially get yourself killed, kind of thing. Like, right. as though the, all the care she had for her husband is just not there anymore, and like literally, she's just gone for the driver, like. And, and, and like, yeah. Remember, remember the story um, Standard tells about how he met her at a party yeah. when she was 17 and then yeah. a year later their kid popped out. So, Fuck. you know, like from that, you could just tell like yeah. this is, you know, it's one of those relationships that sort of w- w- had never, never really had a foundation of love, no. I suppose. It, yeah, yeah. No, no. Like she obviously like had a fling with this guy that kind of loved for a couple of years, but now she probably regrets it kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it's just you have a kid and you're still together. Yeah. And, you know, that's like a kind of an inescapable situation you know fucking death again sentence. like tragic yeah yeah no it's good time good time to kind of wrap up i think oh yeah yeah no no major philosophy this week unfortunately but i think i, I mean just like uh, to wrap it up i suppose it's this this the script of this film is like what 89 pages super short you know it's mostly visually communicated the relationships and stuff and the, yeah it's just a sensory experience yeah and yeah at the at the end of the day it's just like yeah i don't know it's it's no you're right because like that's exactly what like if, if if you're not gonna if you're not gonna enjoy this movie for the narrative the plot and even the characters really you're definitely gonna enjoy it from a sensory spectacle the sensory spectacle yeah. alone like fuck like it's a visually really nice movie and the soundtrack is fucking awesome yeah one last thing, though. What do you think if Hugh Jackman was a driver? <laughs> because that was the original intention. What? 
I am not kidding. She- yeah, he was originally casted, and then it kind of didn't go ahead for a few years, so he ended up leaving it, and they got Ryan Gosling. But it would have been Hugh Jackman I- otherwise. I'm just imagining his character from the Wolverine movie where he goes to Japan. And Logan. It's like, oh, no, no, Wolverine. No, yeah. no, because, you know, in that movie, he's like the most brooding he is, he ever is. Yeah, and he's also a chauffeur well, as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot. Oh, I know. In Logan, he is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in Logan, sorry, yeah. Yeah, no, I, f- first of all, Hugh Jackman's way too jacked to fucking... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's like, it's it's unbelievable. Jacked human Hugh Jackman. Yeah, fuck, he is ripped, eh? Like, when he's cutting, a, cutting <laughs> that tree in the Wolverine in Japan, and, like, I I, I, saw them, I wonder if they CGI'd some of it, because the amount of shit that was popping out on his body was just, like, completely unnatural. Yeah, that, that man needs to hydrate more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, we should do Logan. That's so good. Yeah, actually, we do need to do that. I wouldn't mind doing yeah. that. Yeah. Also, just another fucking little thing. Is it just me or did when when Ryan Gosling was wearing the mask in and he's looking into Nino's shop, <laughs> he looked like fucking Johnny Sins. Who? Johnny Sins. I don't know who that is. Are you serious? You don't know who Johnny Sins is? No. Google him right now. Do it because you'll know exactly who he is as soon as you see his face. <laughs> I'll give, I'll give you... <laughs> okay. I. You done it? No, I don't. But I. <laughs> what you don't know his face i don't i bet some of our viewers will know Jason. <laughs> how do you not know him he's like the guy who's done everything he's been national a police officer oh true fucking doctor what yeah what, in, in the videos or like an act in yeah in pornographic right, yeah, videos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's a porn star <laughs> i mean <sighs> he looked exactly like him in the mask when he was wearing the mask <laughs> i don't know i, I might have seen him Fuck it. He's All a right. generic-looking bloke. Nah, Johnny Sins is a legend. <laughs> my my aspiration is to become <laughs> him one day. Anyway, that finishes our analysis of Drive. Do you have any recommendations, Patrick? Ooh, um... <laughs> Baby Driver <laughs> and the driver do not count. Yeah. That's... <laughs> Taxi driver? <laughs> <laughs> Does he drive enough in that? Uh, yeah, he drives, he drives quite a bit. Like, a lot of the movie is him picking up people and then... He gets like the, uh, their story as they're chatting in the back seat. Right, I need to watch it, but you yeah. said it was boring last week, so I don't really want to watch it now. I mean, to be fair, I watched it when I was like seventeen, and you know, I wasn't necessarily that literate with cinema at that point. But yeah, and there's a there's a Tarantino moment when one of the passengers he picks up is Scorsese, and he plays like <laughs> this really fast talking kind of like asshole character. <laughs> Isn't that him in real life? So he's just playing himself. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. What What about you? What recommendations do I have? Like, I think I expended my recommendations by talking about Baby Driver and, and <laughs> The Driver in terms of driving movies. Driving Miss Daisy? <laughs> yeah, what's another driving <laughs> movie? Um, there's a lot of driving in John Wick. What? Is there? Nah. Transformers. Definitely. <laughs> Now, a good one that comes to mind about cars, actually, like, um, it's not really, like, a crime movie. It sort of is, it, it, but Gran Torino. I actually quite enjoyed that movie. Have you seen that? Oh, with Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a really, like... I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's a, it's a transformative movie. It's the Clint Eastwood's character, you know, if, if we talk about character progression, there's good character progression in that, and a lot of it is centred around a car, which is the Gran Torino. I don't know much about cars, but that's the name of the car, and, um... Yeah, it's 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 a good movie for people who like cars. There's a Tarantino movie called Death Proof, 
about like a, a, a stunt driver who picks up women at bars and then like locks them in the back. It, like he pretends to drive them home and then he does his stunt driver stuff and like flings them around the back and kills them. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. With our boy Kurt Russell. That's a reasonable recommendation. I don't know. Um, but yeah, where can people find our other podcasts? You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Uh, you can also view our stuff on our website, amttm.com. If you have any queries, insights, criticisms, opinions that you'd like to send to us, you can at mail at amttm.com. And you can follow our social medias on Instagram and Facebook, which you can access through our website. Sweet. Yeah, so thank you for listening to... Wait, next week? What? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say it. Chill oh, out. Okay, sorry. Come <laughs> on, mate. I'm not, don't doubt the host, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I can't even remember what we're doing next week. But thank you for listening to our podcast on The Irishman, on right? Drive. Yeah, that's it, The Irishman. Um, talking about you enjoying this movie because it's short. Yeah. What a that's going to be turned upside down for fucking next <laughs> yeah. week. Jesus, I haven't watched it yet, and I'm not going to lie, I'm not looking forward to it that much. Mainly because it's fucking three hours long, uh, look, and he says Scorsese can be boring sometimes. So I mean, I, I like honestly, this is probably my favorite Scorsese movie. So and I was not bored at all. But I mean, it, it's the kind of movie that it very much suits watching it in multiple sessions because the narrative is broken up like into sections of time periods so it's a mini tv series put into one block pretty much like i think i think that's what a lot of people are saying about it too is that it kind of seems like a mini series that's just been compiled into a movie so yeah you can just watch it at your own pace yeah i will i will i will (laughs) yeah i well okay i'll look forward to it then if you say it's his best and he's a pretty acclaimed director i haven't had much experience with him it's my favorite i reckon i'll try but that that's for next week the Irishman by Morton, Morton, Martin Scorsese, <laughs> Morton, and, <laughs> Morton and, <laughs> and um, Robert De Niro. That's all I know. And Joe Pesci. Sure. All right. Well, thanks for listening this week and hopefully we'll see you next week. See ya. Goodbye. Goodbye.